before we jump into this conversation, just a quick word of thanks to the good folks over at the Quilty Nook. Without your ongoing support, projects like this just wouldn't be possible. You're listening to Seamside, where we explore the inner work of textiles. I'm your host, Zach Foster, and in each episode, we explore what working with cloth has taught us about being human. I hope you enjoy. By now, I trust you know how much your reviews mean to me here on Seamside, so take a listen to this recent one from Dieta H, five-star review. Dieta says, oh my, so glad to have stumbled upon this podcast. As a textile artist, I appreciate hearing from others with like philosophies and such interesting takes on their own practices. Zach is an excellent interviewer and host. Having this podcast to listen to helps me get out to my studio even faster. Dieta, thank you so much. Your review really does help other folks find this podcast. So if you haven't left a review yet, please do. And maybe I'll read it next time. You know, one of the things I love most about having these conversations here on Seamside are those moments of pure discovery. Like, I kind of thought I knew what Catherine Greenwood Swanson was all about. But, buddy, I was mistaken. Because she tells some stories that... Listen to this. Did you know that Catherine was on Good Morning America in 1999 with President Clinton and Hillary Clinton? True story. Also, there's something about Sarah McLaughlin. I don't know. You'll just have to listen to hear that one yourself. But in this conversation, we talk about all kinds of stuff. But we focus on the role of the stash, what we have accumulated in our fabric closet. We talk about the role of a communal stash house in the life of a fiber artist. We talk about the shame that is so often associated with our fabric stashes. And then lastly, because maybe you're germinating this little seed too in your heart of hearts, we talk about how you could set up and create your own Swanson's fabric style space in your own community. I think you'll really enjoy this conversation. Catherine, thank you so much for joining me. How are you this morning? I'm doing so well, and I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for asking me to join you. Totally, totally. Well, you and I had a conversation last week, and it made me want so much more, which is why you're here today. So thank you for carving out time. I know you're very busy. I am loving what I'm seeing behind you. And for folks that can't, can you kind of tell us where you are right now and what kind of space you're inhabiting? Yeah, I'm in a really cool space. I'm in what I hope is the nicest living room anyone's ever been in. Right behind me, what you're seeing is my patchwork wall that I've made with linen scraps, printed linen scraps from a high-end interior designer that I, in a patchwork pattern, pasted on the wall with cornstarch and water mixture, and it works like wallpaper, and I basically quilted my wall. What is this wall? This is a wall in... The Swanson's Fabric Stash House, which is a new space, part of my business. I'm the owner of Swanson's Fabrics in Turner's Falls, Massachusetts. We are a thrift store of fabric that focuses on the home sewer. So basically, I say we're like the no-kill shelter for your fiber stash. We take in stashes from other sewers, and we process them and measure things and rewrap all the trims so that they're not in a nest anymore. And we put them out for sale so that people have inexpensive access to really good fabrics that all of our elders have been keeping so well for us. 
And as a part of that business, there has been a great demand for us to have community space. And so I went out on a limb and got us a 4,200 square foot space that is half sort of like a beautiful living room and then a big sewing room with tables and for machines and a big cutting table and some offices and classrooms and studio space. And then the back half of the building is a big enough sorting and processing center that now the community members who are donating can also come in and help us sort through things and get the first look at what's coming in the door. So this is my new space, and I am in the sort of living room section of it that I have been decorating by just slapping spare fabric on the wall because we're not allowed to paint in this rental. And it's full of beautiful couches and braided rugs, and we're going to have all sorts of things happen here, like Tamale Tuesday Family Craft and Movie Night. Please tell them my favorite. Crochet-yoke night. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. I don't even like karaoke, but crochet-yoke, let's do it. <laughs> Catherine, let's be sure to include a picture of this wall for people to see, because I know they'll be inspired. Absolutely. Absolutely, yes. As my friend Luke Haynes likes to say, I have so many questions. Starting with, what did you bring to work on today? I brought one of my braided-in rugs. It's a braided rug with a new technique. Maybe not new, but it's hard for me to find history on it. Anyway, you don't braid it first and then sew it together. You braid it into itself. And it's a great use for me and my business for the polyesters and bed sheets and sort of crummy fabrics that come through our way that people don't want to put against their skin. Obviously, there's like high demand always for linen and cotton and wool, but not so much for some of the, the sort of nastier things. Those fabrics are the most important to save from the landfill, of course, because they're polyester and they're plastic, they're microplastics. So I have been just incredibly enthusiastic about these braided-in rugs that make exceptionally good use of these fabrics that otherwise are sort of undesirables. And that's what I'm working on. I am making a 23-foot runner for one of the hallways in this new space. That's what I love about you, Catherine. <laughs> that's absolutely insane. <laughs> but we do it to ourselves. So you know what? It's like when quilters like, I'm going to make a quilt and it's going to be king size. That's their very first project. And like, yeah, we've all been there. We've oh all my that. gosh, I know. So you're working on a Braden rag rug, which I love. I made one of those when I was at the folk school back in the spring. And the Braden style is so great because like you say, you're creating the rug as you're braiding it into itself. And it's sturdier and stronger in my mind than trying to make a braid and then sew it to itself Absolutely. Right? because it's woven together. So you have fun with that. We'll post pictures of that too so folks can see it because your color palette is impeccable. <laughs> I'm sitting here working on tiny quilt number 73 with some little vintage calico scraps that I've been collecting. I think it was spending a few months in Western North Carolina that got me really vibing with calicos because with all the little colors that you see in the small prints of calicos yeah. you can combine them with almost anything and, yeah. and they go they work right so we'll see what i come up with well so that's where we are and that's what we're doing but Catherine, let's get down to business enough enough chit chat the other day when we were talking you said that in the captain planet of life you are the fire element and i am the heart element <laughs> Why did you pick fire for yourself? That's such a good question. Really, I chose heart for you. And then I had to fit myself in there somewhere. And I said I chose fire because I burn hot and fast and I take up all the air in the room. 
<laughs> in the best of all possible ways. Oh, thanks. I'm not so sure why I chose fire except just for that kind of funny metaphor, but I do burn hot and fast. What happened for me and starting my business was it started in the pandemic and it started in this time of like great sort of turmoil and unrest and everything was being changed in kind of the way that like a fire changes a forest and says, let's clear out the old stuff. Let's clear out what's not working. And let's like, let those pine cones that need to be activated by heat open up. You know, it was a rarefied moment. And I felt like I really took advantage of that moment and looked around and said to myself, this is a huge opportunity to change things. Because the hardest thing about change is that people don't want to do it. And it's really slow and takes a long time. And I thought, well, while everything's up in the air, why don't we just all carpe diem and change everything into systems that work. <laughs> and so I had a whole lot of problems I was trying to solve at that time. And I sort of feel like I've been in this furnace cooking basically for the last three years. So I guess that's the best I can do. I am a Virgo. I'm an earth sign, actually. I'm a Virgo too, Catherine. <laughs> Something about us. us. <laughs> Well, you are a powerhouse. I mean, it takes a powerhouse to create something out of nothing like you're doing with Swanson's. And I think it's interesting that you liken it to a furnace because in my mind, God, whoever, whatever God is, is a furnace in the center of the universe. Like it is the churning hot place that all elements spring forth from. And so that's, that's kind of what you're doing, isn't it, with Swanson? Oh, that's very nice. I remember, so I was following along before you and I were even really pals. Uh -huh. I was following you on TikTok and seeing your videos, which you did a lot of. You really kind of walked us through the opening of Swanson's. And I remember in particular that there were some times when you used the windows of your shop as attention getters yeah, for various social issues. Are there any stories there that you'd like to share with us? Well, it was really just one, and that's been an interesting thing. When the Uvalde school shooting happened, I've had just a long history of my life of thinking about guns and violence in schools. When I was 15, I was on Good Morning America with Bill and Hillary Clinton, and then weirdly at the end of the show, Sarah McLaughlin, <laughs> talking about Columbine and what had happened, and talking about guns in schools. And when the Uvalde shooting happened, I was just so overwhelmed. So upset, and I sat up in the middle of the night, and I just said, I'm going to put big signs in my windows, and this is what they're going to say. I have two giant front windows, not giant, but they're like eight by, or nine by six or something. They're big, bigger than a piece of plywood. And one of them had a giant, like kind of, it looked like the mean people suck, <laughs> but it said, fuck this shit. And then the sign on the other window said, ban semi-automatic weapons now. And I'm in a rural town and, you know, there are a lot of hunters and stuff here. And I'm across the street from a gun shop, sort of catty corner. So I ended up, you know, I got a lot of attention. They, the gun shop put me on their Facebook and got a lot of, of attention there. My TikToks got a lot of attention. And it was a very interesting process because it brought a lot of men into my shop. I had not had a lot of middle-aged men in my shop before, but they came and you know, publicly on the, on the internet, the, the debate played out in one way. In my hometown, it played out in another way. On the internet, they all thought I was just like an idiot about guns. But in my town, I was sort of trolling them. What happened is they would come in, the old men would come in and say, now, you know, this 
this one sign where you're using your free speech to say what you think politically, that's fine. But this other sign, this with the bad language, now that one is very offensive and the kids these days. And I would get to say to them, like, your priorities are really messed up if you think that the kids these days are being hurt by my sign. But I also said, oh, isn't it great that we all agree that the one about semi-automatic weapons, that's a good sign, right? We agree on that sign. Good, good, good. But so it only, I had to talk with my landlord about it. It only went on for about four days that I had them up in my window because I decided that I also just really, really don't want to actually fight with my neighbors. And I was ruffling feathers and getting people to talk a little bit, but I didn't want them to actually hate me. And I, I, I wanted them to realize that we probably must agree that child sacrifice is not worth it, but mostly that I just don't want to fight with my neighbors. And in my shop, there is one thing that I like to say, which is that we might not agree on a lot, but we can all agree that your grandmother's quilts are beautiful. And so I do like that unifying aspect of my store. And I took down the sign with the offensive language. I left up the sign that said ban semi-automatic weapons. And I replaced it with a sign that said, students and teachers shop for free or pay what you want. And my idea was that then for the next couple of weeks, as people drove, you know, I got a little bit of press. People, word was around that this nasty fabric store had this nasty language in their window. And so these guys in their big trucks with their American flags on them driving by to get really mad at me would then look at the window and see this sign that said, students and teachers shop for free or pay what you want. And that I thought that that would sort of bring it home. This is about essentially like women and children. And in a way, you know, no offense, Zach, as a male teacher and quilter, but that's what this is, this is about. And we actually can agree on, on it. And I think that sort of locally, public, politically, I, I saved my butt. <laughs> and I now am renting this new space from actually one of the most conservative people in town who is one of the largest landowners in town. And he had to have a talk with me about my signs and whether or not he would rent to me. And we disagree about the name of this town, which is named after a murderous white man who killed a lot of Indians. And we had to have a talk about that. And he and I have found common ground. And really where we found common ground was I, I told him about the mission here. I explained to him that if it would get me kicked out, I, then I guess I wouldn't do any grandstanding on his property. I still have my store. I still have my windows. Anyway, he and I become buds and we've been able to be neighbors who disagree. And it is really nice. And so I hope that more and more of that can happen in my store. I actually feel in a funny way with my employees and, and my personality that the people I have to protect in my store are sometimes the more conservative people who I want to make sure that they feel welcome, as welcome as anyone. But I really mean it. We're all welcome here. Catherine, there's so much in that beautiful story. I want to unpack with you. <laughs> Let's go back to the beginning. Good morning, America. <laughs> How does that happen? So I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area. My, I was a company town kid. My dad worked for the Justice Department. And I was a little upstart. And my high school ended up, after Columbine, my high school was chosen to pilot a program that was like an assembly performance where they ran a game show about why we shouldn't kill each other in school. And it was really silly, but they brought all the press out. And I got myself in the Washington Post because there was a state representative who was there who was doing something that I disagreed with environmentally in our town. He wanted to build this really dumb highway. And I wanted to build a, a purple line subway system. Anyway, so I got myself in the paper saying something smart to him. And then when Good Morning America just went trolling for some filler kids to be on this program to talk with the president, 
I got pointed out as someone who could probably handle it. So I was picked up in a town car and went to the White House at like four in the morning. And we, I was with about 30 other kids. A lot of them were school shooting survivors and kids from Columbine and other schools. This was just a few months after Columbine. And we had a sort of a conversation with the president and the first lady live on national television that they, they extended, they like went, they like canceled commercial breaks and Clinton wanted to keep talking to us. It was really wild. And what was interesting back then is that the, the tone of the conversation was that basically they thought we were going to start needing metal detectors and police officers in schools. And did we as kids think that was okay? Because it was a pretty nasty thought for everyone. And it's wild to me to look back on that conversation now and realize that like no one even thinks that there's an end goal to like get cops out of schools like this or that metal detectors shouldn't be there. That that was a nasty compromise we were making back then. And it we don't even feel it now. And that to me is really alarming. Well, it's been 100% normalized. Yeah. It was like they were, they, I mean, I remember raising my hand saying, I disagree with that idea. They were asking us permission. And then Sarah McLaughlin closed out the show with her piano in the middle of Pennsylvania Avenue. And at the time, I had the same bad haircut and the same bad dye job that she did. And we have like similarly oval German faces. And so when we all went out as kids to watch her play, after she came over to like hug us, all the kids were like, Sarah, 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 she looks just like you. Look, look, look. And Sarah McLaughlin looked at me and said, I saw you in the audience. We look like we could be sisters. And I said, we should be sisters. And then she said, we're all sisters. We're all sisters. I love, so I have a new name. And then I went back to school for lunch. Oh, you didn't get the rest of the day off. <laughs> no way. Even Good Morning America is not enough excuse to get you the day off of school. <laughs> Talking with the president and first lady, not enough to get you off of school. Mm-mm, mm-mm. So I have a neighbor right to this wall behind me who's like this young 20-something-ish queer fella. And he jams out to Sarah McLaughlin. And I just assume it's like a total nostalgia vibe for him. I love it. That's amazing. It. It's like Sarah I used to listen to Joni Mitchell or something. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Is this conversation with you and the president and the first lady and the others, is it available on YouTube? Can people watch this somewhere? It actually is. What's wild is that I was trying to save the VHS tape out of a broken (laughs) VHS machine. It was like a really wild thing. And my parents had recorded it off the TV. But if you type in Good Morning America 1999, it is the first hit on YouTube is this episode of kids talking with the president. And I'm in there at some point. I had no plan. I spoke off the cuff and I said, something crazy about like kids need to feel safe in their schools but i said something like to bill clinton at the time about like you know my parents used to make love to rebel and now we're all hurting ourselves and like we had been prompted like if we brought up monica Lewinsky or anything like we would be like with a hook taken off the off the show you know like it was like it felt pretty edgy to talk to say something like sexy to bill clinton you can watch it. I think, you know, for an unplanned 15-year-old statement live on national TV, I think I did an okay job now. But, like, back then I was pretty embarrassed about it. <laughs> so, Catherine, when you and I were chit-chatting last week with your community, you said something that sent off a million fireworks in my brain. And I'm like, I need to talk to Catherine some more. And that was, you said that we need communal stash houses, as you're calling it, 
so that our homes don't become stash houses themselves, right? That we are swimming in all this material and it oftentimes become kind of choking or claustrophobic for us in our own homes. We need these communal spaces. So how I had never thought about a creative reuse store in those terms. And I really appreciate you framing it that way. Yeah, so I've been thinking about this for a long time. And now in my business, of course, I think about it a lot. I watch episodes of Hoarders. I actually, in the process of opening my store, I hired a Marie Kondo expert and went through the Marie Kondo process in my own home. I have been thinking about this since I started my life in the fiber arts as a child and just heard all of the grown-ups around me talking about their stashes in a way that felt complicated and difficult and not not always very happy. And people use an addiction mentality a lot about it, or it sort of seems to look a little bit like addiction, like, I can't help myself. Oh, I know I already have enough, but I have to buy more at this yarn festival or whatever. And there's a lot of guilt and shame. Oh, my husband says, you know, I'll never use it all. And I'm taking up too much space. And but I just I have to do it, you know. And so I was first introduced to Marie Kondo and that concept by my cousin Ivy, who said to me, you know, it's really interesting. And it's such a good process. And I think the people in our family need it. But she said, Marie Kondo has not figured out what to do with fiber artists. And there is not a good solution for this because the process of like, you know, holding something, it, does it bring me joy? That's a really complicated question for a piece of fabric, right? And I think we have a lot of ideas about our stashes that are too hard on ourselves. I think we're too hard on ourselves for having so much. So This is what I think is true. I think it's true that the average fiber artist has too much stuff. I think that the average fiber artist has a feeling of guilt or shame about like, oh, I'll never use it all and I should. I think that that's misplaced. I think the reason we all have too much is that we're surrounded by so much, right? So we are in... We're in this ocean of stuff that has been created. The giant corporations have been extracting resources from the planet. They have been using human labor to create inexpensive things, and they flooded us with it, right? And the thing about fabric and textiles is that before modern manufacturing, and even with modern manufacturing, but it's just obscured, textiles are really difficult to make, right? They start with agriculture. They start with either plants or animals or now also oil and petroleum-based things. So in my shop, fabrics are divided animal, vegetable, mineral. So you have your plants like cotton and linen. You have animals like silk and wool. And then you have to process those fibers. You have to spin those fibers. You have to thread up a loom with thousands of fine little micro threads. You have to weave it. If all of that was happening by hand in the home, which for tens of thousands of years of human history, it has, those things are really hard to make. So... If you are the person in the family who has a penchant for this kind of skill, if you are drawn to the fiber arts, every family needs a bunch of us, right? I think we exist everywhere. I think there's a lot of crossover with ADHD diagnoses, actually, also. But if you're the kind of person who is drawn to the fiber arts and you see fabric, it is a natural instinct to say, that is really good stuff and it should be protected and it should be held on to. And I'm going to take it and I'm going to keep it and I'm going to keep it safe. And to anyone who has ever done that for a piece of fabric or a skein of yarn, I say thank you. 
because what happened over the last hundred years is that in our houses, we have developed huge stores of extremely fine textiles. What's left over now oftentimes is the stuff that was too good to cut into. The really nice linens, the really nice silks, right? And it is very impossible when you are sitting and going through a de-stashing process to look at that incredible silk, like the one that I'm wearing around my neck right now. I'm wearing this crazy, such as piece of like neon green and black giraffe print silk sateen, you know, or whatever. And it came from a stash. But it is really hard to look at that and to hold it and say, does this bring me joy? And to say no to it, right? It does bring me joy. Then you ask yourself, am I ever going to use it? And you have to sit with that question. And then you feel like a jerk and it makes you feel bad. And in just in my experience as a teacher, when you ask people to do something that makes them feel bad, it's really hard to get them to do it, you know? And so how do we create a way where it can feel good to let go of your stuff, right? And so I started Swanson's Fabrics and I said, I think everyone has too much. And I think the reason everyone has too much is that the natural order of things is that you're supposed to then pass it down and that we have broken the chains of children knowing how to do this stuff. We've dismantled the education of textiles and sewing in this country we hardly believe that we exist. And so it's hard to know where to take your stuff. You don't want to take it to the Salvation Army. They're not going to process it and measure it and say it's self and, and put, you know. So I said, well, what if we make the place that's good enough to take it? So I opened my doors and basically the promise I make to people is that if you bring me your, your stash, number one, I know what it is. I know what those fabrics are. I can probably guess what kind of sewist you were, where your stuff came from. I will honor them and cherish them. I will take care of them and I will process them so that they are recognizable to other people and they will be passed down to other fiber artists and that they will be passed down to other fiber artists in a way that they can afford them so that they can use them. It's easier to cut into a piece of fabric if you didn't spend hundreds of dollars on it. And these fabrics can actually be honored for what their true value is now, which is their end use. So. All of my fabrics are priced at the same value. They're all $4 a yard in the shop and they're $5 a yard online. And what that does is it creates a new value system where a piece of canvas is good for being a piece of canvas and a piece of silk is good for being a piece of silk. And so my customers are twofold. I have the people I'm serving by taking stuff off their hands and I have the people I'm serving by giving them access to really wonderful materials that need to be honored and used. What ends up happening is that the system is working so well that we basically don't need a policy, which is what to me says it's a good system. So when someone comes and brings any size donation to me or to someone at my shop, we say, and what do we have here that we can offer you that you need? And people are allowed to just go shopping and we do not weigh things. We don't have a tit for tat. There's no exchange. It's just, thank you for giving us what you have and what do we have that you need. And what happens is that our elders will come with a truckload and then they will walk away with like putting their hands up on the sides of their heads, like blinders and say, no, no, no. And I have to convince them to take a shiny button. And then some folks will come in with just a bag of like the little bits of stuff they could find from somewhere. And they say, could I like get a couple of yards of stuff? What happens to people when they 
come in and they realize they can basically have access to anything that they want is instead of buying up my whole shop, instead of fleecing me, instead of taking everything they can see, what happens is that they relax and they realize, oh, I really can de-stash. I really can take the things out of my house and bring them here because I know there's an abundance here. There is no scarcity. And and I will always be able to find what it is that I need. So one of the things about a fiber artist stashing a lot of stuff is that we want to always have just the thing. Oh, I have just the thing. Oh, And if every single item that you had had a perfectly planned project, it would be all tied up and it wouldn't be just the thing for when you need just the thing, right? So if we have this spot where you can always find just the thing, you will always be able to afford it. You will always be able to get access to it then you can relax and you can start to make space in your house and just have the stuff that you need. And it really takes a village. It takes a group effort of all of us putting together what we have so that we all have what we need. And then I think that allows people to start making space in their houses. And it doesn't take long, right? Like I I noticed from my own personal experience that the five weeks I spent at Luke and Nicole's house in LA. There's a great creative reuse store there. Shout out to Remainders. And even in just five weeks, I found myself easing into this pattern of, oh, I need this. Let me go to Remainders and see what they have. They'll have something I can use, right? Which freed me up from feeling like I had to have everything right there with me. And it was nice having a community space like that to trust and to go to. And I wish every community had one. I think every single community could sustain one. People say to me, what do you do when you run out? <laughs> when when you've taken in all of the fabrics and Turner's balls or something. And three years has passed since I opened the doors. And when I first opened the doors, I had a stash from a Broadway costume designer. So I opened my doors with some of the finest fabrics I've ever touched. And sold them all for $4 a yard which felt rebellious and amazing. But now you know what's happening? They're being donated back to me, right? So I know that I'm not just taking in everything from town. I know how fiber artists work. I don't care. If what you're going to do is buy that fabric because you love it and you're going to go put it on your shelf and look at it for the next three years and then say, you know what? Actually, I decided... Not this one for me. I'm going to pass it on. That's fine. Great. You know, for me, it's just outsourcing storage, basically. We're kind of like a library with a small lending fee. You're seeing all this fabric come back to you, though. It has been coming back in little bits, you know. So I know I'm just sort of outsourcing my storage. And that the function of the stash house is not to suck up all the fabric in Turner's Falls and churn out, I don't know, products or something. That's the function of the stash house is to just have this central place that we all know we can take our stuff and it will still be buttons and it will still be zippers and it will still be hem tape and it will still be yardage, you know, and it will be honored and respected. Of course, that then creates all this opportunity for education, right? Because a lot of people coming in are looking for that education. And so with the new space, my hope is that we get this like really good churning, just people hanging out and telling each other what they know 
because that's my next phase of this is trying to lean into sort of the natural processes of sewing and handwork, you know? And what I think is that no one ever sewed alone. And you as a quilter, I mean, quilting bees are critical. A quilt is too many steps for one person to have to do on their own and keep up the whatever, the joie de vivre, the chutzpah, you know, whatever it is that it, you have to keep to complete that project. It usually takes friends. So I think nobody ever sewed alone. I think the way to make money in, in the fiber arts, which is almost an impossibility, but the way to make money is to enable the home sewer. And I think that sewing happens in the home. So I am trying to create a space that feels like a home, that feels like a living room, that feels like a house that we're all in. There is, you know, there's a little kitchen in the back and we can have food here. And I want to just create such a fun place to hang out that we end up just tricking all of our elders into teaching us everything that they know. Because I think that capturing that generational knowledge is the most important thing that I could be doing right now. And that asking them to teach formalized classes online or well, it's just not going to happen. You know, like we need to just sit and be together. So this space now also has the back half, which is the really the real the stash house. And it means that we have enough space that people can come help process and sort what's coming in the door. And that means that they can get the first look at what's going on. And I just think it's brilliant because I feel like an evil genius. When all of the fabric is the same price, the thing of greatest value is being able to see the stash first and get first pick. And the only way to see the stash first and to get first pick is to come help. <laughs> Brilliant. So I imagine you get quite a bit of help, right? Like, can we move to the business side of things for just a, a few minutes? Because I know that's part of a large part of kind of the next phase of your vision that you see for Swanson's fabric is not only empowering the home sewer, but to empower other people to empower the home sewer. Yes. And so when I met with you last week, I was meeting with a group that you have in your community that are interested in setting up shops, stash houses with similar models to Swanson's. And so I'd be really curious to know for folks that are inspired or curious to learn more about how to set up something like this. What are you offering? Like, how are you plugging in? So, yeah, since I got started, a lot of people have said, like, oh, my gosh, such a good idea. I had that idea, but, like, how how do I get it going? And I set up a community on a Mighty Network. So I have a Mighty Network. It's called the Fiber Arcade. And it is a free and open space part of it. And then part of it is for the business community, which is $25 a month. The free and open space is just, I say, for anyone and everyone who's interested in secondhand textiles for any reason. You want to start a stash house of your own. You want to shop from stash houses. You want to donate to a stash house. Any any reason you want to see what people are making with reused stuff, come join the Fiber Arcade. The business workshop part of that is monthly group, which is what you came to and spoke at. And you were talking to us about what you're seeing in the home quilter and what people are desiring. We talked a lot about community at that group. But so it's just a little community we meet once a month. And basically, I it's just a more in-depth version of like, this is what I'm doing at Swanson's. And I'm telling people a lot about my process and then trying to also invite in speakers to address the things that I can't. So I would be really bad at telling you stuff about like how to organize the finances of your business. But I could be really good at telling you about like, I have figured out a flow system for my 
donations when they come in the door. And that has been like the process of trying to design the periodic table of elements, you know, like when a donation comes in the door, how does it get sorted? What's the flow chain? What do you prioritize? The weight of the material, the content of the material, the size of the material that, you know, is it a notion? And at our place, we, we say that one of the exchanges is that I say yes to everything. I do not pick through stashes and reject things. I say, yep, we will take everything. Thank you very much. We will decide what needs to be dispatched. And we have thrown away very little. But so that's a lot of stuff. And then you get erratics, you know, anyway, sharing things like my processing system. I have put my financial records up on the screen and said, this is the money I've made. And this is how it's worked out for me. I've shared why I'm not a nonprofit, things like that. So that's happening in my business community. And we have folks in California, Lucky Deluxe Fabrics, who have started their own place and gotten off the ground and quit their other jobs. And Gemma Fabrics in Pennsylvania, people are popping them up around. And I'm very excited about this next phase of Swanson's with the community space to be able to show everyone because I think that ultimately this is the goal. A lot of people are starting online to get things going, but I think really, especially for me, I know that I don't want to rely on TikTok and, I, and Instagram so much that it seems maybe like a, we should have a more diversified portfolio of strength and that really making this community space my strongest space is what I'm working on now. Amen. Amen. I feel like the highest use of technology as a tool, as social media as a tool, is to reconnect us to one another in real life, in real space, in real time. And I love it about Mighty Networks is that your profile can have your location on it. So you can really easily find people in the group who are close to you. And that's something big we're doing in the Nook coming up in 2023, which is we're forming these local pods. So people, we have these concentrations now around the world because we're almost at 700 folks in the Nook. I mean, it's pretty abundant, right? And so we have these concentrations of places where folks in the Nook want to get together for their own in real life sewing circles. And I am thoroughly happy as the host of the community to facilitate the structures that need to be put in place to help people connect. I can't organize each and every sew-in circle in each and every town, but I can give you the structures and I can help connect you to one another. And that's what, for me, is really giving me life and giving me energy with the work I'm doing right now. I love the idea of bringing people together. That's wonderful that you're, that you're facilitating that everywhere. People need it so much. They really do. When people ask me where to get started with sewing, oh, what should my first project be? Which I do. How do I get started? I always just say, but like, really, no one ever sewed alone. Just find someone to sew with. And that's a really good start. We are everywhere. We are everywhere. We are in every family. The maker, the creative person, the person who needs to fidget with their fingers. And we just got to find each other. Well, and it's like my friend China, my friend China on the nook, says, uh, you know, don't hesitate about reaching out because sewing people are your people. Yeah. Right? Like, that's your tribe. So just trust. Like, take a step and know that you will be met halfway. Yeah. Absolutely. Speaking of real life, have you been able to visit any of these shops that have opened up around the country yet? I know you're super busy, but... Uh, my dream is to go on a cross-country tour with, like, a truck with fabric and visit all these stores. People, you know, we don't have folks at the brick and mortar yet. The folks in California, they're real close. And Gemma Fabrics, they're getting close. And so in time, I think really soon, I will be able to. There are a lot of places that are not just from, that I, you know, like you were saying in LA. Say the name again of that one. Remainders. Remainders. 
And I know like Austin Creative Reuse is real hot. And I've been out to Make and Mend in Boston, which she got started with fine art supplies. And then has found, I think, that from taking in fine art supplies, she needs to have a fiber arts business because they just go, you know, crafters are crafters. And honestly, like fiber artists are, we work in a media that just requires quite a bit of bulk, right? We're not painters that just need little tubes and little brushes, right? We require Amen. a lot of bulky physical material. And then when grandma or so-and-so passes away... Or just gets to a point where they can no longer sew. Well, then you're left with all of this bulk. And so, yeah. Right. I mean, fiber arts. you think about it like paint in a tube is so much smaller. And you can mix them, right? So with fabrics, though, the possibilities of what is in a fabric, what a fabric looks like, is infinite. And there's like two things happening to us when we collect fabrics. One is, yes, we need them. We need a palette, right? So we need to have this huge variety of things to work with and then we can't just i mean except in the ways that we can quilt or embellish it sure we can mix them up but not quite like making a new color so you need that variety but there's also something about fabric that hits sort of trading card collector part of our hearts right so i also think it's funny that we have this guilt about like oh i'll never use it all but like someone who's collecting pokemon cards isn't going to like use them all or something they're not useful or if you're collecting plates or stickers or you know whatever model trains there's a funny relationship this funny guilt to fabric because it's something that has potential and so we assign it a different value than we do other things we collect but i think to just say oh it's my collection is also a really nice thing to do to yourself to sort of take a little bit of the heat off Years ago, I took one time all the books off my shelf in my house and put them in Tupperware bins, and I put all my fabrics on my bookshelf. Like, I'm not reading these books, they're kind of just for reference, and my fabrics are here to be beautiful in my home, and I'm collecting them because they're beautiful. So that was sort of acknowledging that part. But yeah, it would be nice if we could just fit all of our supplies into a tiny little tube, but we can't. Your mouth of God's ear, it's just not going to happen. Mm-mm. Yeah, I love thinking of ourselves as custodians or stewards of these fabrics yes as opposed to the person that must cut and sew it yes that's harsh i think we need to put ourselves back in the long chain of fiber artists Mm. and share around we already we already do it right like we already share around so readily with each other in fact it feels really bad to like sell stuff (laughs) i think just all these things where it's like It's impossible to charge enough for the stuff that you've made. It's so much better if you give it as a gift. I think that the gift economy is incredibly strong within fiber arts and that any time we can actually try to maneuver ourselves into the flow of the gift economy in this world, rather than trying to jerry-rig ourselves into capitalism, we're going to do better because textiles and capitalism has never fit. There's never been a time when people have been paid enough to make fabric in modern manufacturing, I should say, where like the earth has been well-respected. The capitalist exchange of textiles is a deep and sordid history in imperialism. And it's just important, I think, for us to say like, but, you know, actually the way that this has always worked is in a gift economy. We have sewn clothes for our family members and given them to them. We have made things for the household and just given it. 
we make textiles and pass them down. And so I think the other thing about me keeping all my prices the same is to just say like, we're not going to acknowledge money as like a real factor here. And we're going to actually just exist in the real economy of textiles, which has always been, I think, mostly feminine in the home and on a gift economy with a lot of kids around. You know what, Zach? I had my big gala here in this new space. And I partied with people from zero years old through every decade up to 80. And I thought, where does that happen in our lives? Where you have a party where every single person feels entitled to this space equally. And I think it happens in church. And I don't know where else that happens. Where else do you party with that age? Oh, at a family party, holiday party or something. And I thought, isn't this cool? Yeah. And in a time where not everybody's belonging to a religious group and not everybody's family's getting together for family reunions because we're so atomized these days and spread all over the place, then it's up to us to come up with these new institutions to bring people together in a generational way. Exactly. And what a great way to bring people together over sewing quilting you know you know the power of it it's so powerful you literally weave people together <laughs> well and it goes back back to your point about capitalism versus gift economy with textiles i don't know if you've read the gift by lewis hyde mm -hmm. but hyde talks a lot about that capitalism is, is tip for tat basically like it's an even exchange right you give me a yard of fabric i give you four bucks or whatever it is and that's that's it or even there's no more negotiating to be done. There's no more relationship to be had. But when something is given as a gift, here, take this yard of fabric or take this, these buttons or take this sweater or take this quilt, then it leaves the door open yeah. for something to happen in the future. Yeah. Because there is now this, well, I guess we call it a debt of gratitude, right? That will somehow be filled in the future. And by leaving those doors open, we create space for those relationships to exist and to flourish absolutely i had a woman who came in and she wanted to buy a couple of yards of some linen to make a skirt or something it was a new she was a new sewer and this was her first big project and she didn't have enough money for the yardage that she needed and so we were going to i, I forget the whole story exactly but basically i ended up just giving her twice the amount of fabric for the project than she needed and I took whatever her budget was but why why would you give me all this wonderful fabric and I said I can see the way that you're relating to this fabric right now and you're really nervous about it and you're not going to cut into it because it seems too precious to you so I'm just going to give you all of it you can cut it you can mess up you can cut another piece and fix it you could not use all of it and bring the rest back if you make mistakes, bring those pieces back. Linen at any size is going to be taken. And you're right. In that exchange, I know that what I left the door open for is one day that person might come back and say, look what I made, you know? And I felt like through that exchange, by the end of it, that it was more likely that she was going to actually complete her project because I had given her this fabric than it would be if she had, if she had bought it herself and spent what she felt like was too much money on it. And for me, it's so gratifying. It is so deeply gratifying to see what people have made with the fabrics. It makes me feel like I did it. Well, you, you helped make it happen. You were part of the chain of creation for that piece. It feels really good. 
you know, I think about this a lot too. I come from like a alcoholic family dynamic and I, and I am like a born and bred enabler of my personality. And this business positions me in a place where that part of my personality is enhanced and can shine and is doing its functional best. And I love it. I just absolutely love giving people, oh, I have just the thing, right? You know, I have, oh, let me go in the back. I have just the thing for you and giving it to them and having them say, oh my gosh, now I can do this idea that I had and make it come true. And then they do it and then I get to see it. And I feel like all this work happened and I just was sitting back, you know, folding some fabric. And then look, there's this whole outfit that came of it somehow. And it feels very, very good. It allows you to operate and others to enjoy the fruit of a place of abundance as opposed to a place of scarcity. And that's the real ticket, you know, you, it's interesting because it's really easy to give people a sense of scarcity and to make them want to buy more. And in a, in a retail position, that's like the job actually is to create a sense of scarcity so that people will buy up stuff. That's an easy trick. What we're doing is we're creating a sense of abundance so that people can actually let go of stuff and not buy more. (laughs) And making a business of it. Because everyone needs a livelihood. You got bills to pay, Catherine. You need a roof over your head and food in your stomach. Yeah, and I have people working for me and I refuse to pay them poorly. Yeah. So it's a funny, tricky balance. But I have to tell myself all the time, it's really a thing that you have to, the number one thing I have to work at is saying like, there's enough, there is enough, there is enough. Like I've had times when people have like taken a whole lot in exchange for what they brought in. And I just say, this is so rare, right? We have enough, we have enough, we have enough, we have enough. And it makes space for new stuff to come out on the shelves. Yeah. There is plenty. I'm telling you. Speaking of, there's always plenty, Catherine. I want to give some friends of mine some gift cards. And I see you have some available on your website. Because one of the things I love best is like, and I'm so glad to see this in the last few years, is some of these creative reuse places now having an online inventory. Yeah. Because you don't have to be local to shop. And so I'm so glad to see what Swanson has been doing to get all that stuff online. And I need to talk to you after we get off about those gift cards, okay? (laughs) Absolutely. You know what? I have to say, buying a gift card to a small business, as a small business owner, I want to say if anyone's shopping, if you love a small business, buy a gift card to that place. Because it's basically a little micro loan that you give the business owner that you might coupon you might not you might do it now you might do it later and then you know especially for me it's like I have to pay that back now just in fabric in inventory which I have and not with money which I don't and so a gift card to a business is if you're just wanting to support them that's an awesome way to support a small business it's a really community-minded yeah we've got stuff online you know it's really helpful to have a large audience especially for the things like unfinished business So we get UFOs at our place, right? And I call it unfinished business, save a soul, finish a project. And it's already started for you. You just got to pick it up where they left off. Things like that. It's really nice to have a big, wide audience so that we can get it to the right person, you know, who feels really inspired by that piece. And for lots of our fabrics, there's just things that we can do online that it's easier than in person. So we have our shop at swansonsfabrics.com. We have a Thursday drop where every Thursday we release the new fabrics that we've processed and put up online. And actually now that we have this membership system here, 
The membership system also has online benefits, which is an access to a members-only area. The members-only area will have a monthly video for me of a craft project. You get a kit in the mail to do that craft project. And, and it has the Wednesday drop, which is the- What's that? It's the first look. So everything will be dropped actually in the members only space on Wednesdays first, and then it will go to the wider audience on Thursdays for the Thursday drop. The idea being that, you know, when people donate here to the shop locally, I try to put things out on the shelves in the store for a couple of weeks before they go on the website. Because my idea is that like it's our stashes and it's it's nice if we get to all have a look at it first before it goes outside of the community. And for my online community, the people that are like sustaining this business that is not like highly profitable, right? We're not a nonprofit. I'm earning a living, but you know, I was a private school teacher before. This is a low bar that we're crossing here. So that the people who are, are sustaining us who are part of the regular community, they're the ones getting sort of the preferred look at what's coming in the door. Cause that is the most valuable thing. So that's what I, what I want to give my besties. And I want to give you gift cards. Mm, we'll make that happen. You had trouble buying more than one at once on the website. See, these are the Yeah, things. I wanted to buy like a dozen. Oh my God, I love you. I want yeah. you to too. So we were going to do yeah. that. I'm so thankful. <laughs> Boy, anytime anyone writes me and says, you know, there's something messed up about your website or whatever. I get it. And I just think like heaps of thanks that you told me because these technical glitches, you know, I we just got to work them all out one at a time. Takes a community. Sure does. And a website is a beast. It is so big and sprawling. There's no way to know what's happening in every nook and cranny, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, Catherine, how's that rag rug coming along, huh? Oh, my gosh. It's looking good. You know, I'm in a section of it right now that I don't... I've gone to a part where I have really faded out the colors to light pink and blue instead of red. And I'm an intensity person, right? And so I put these moments in my in my pieces so that they make the rest of everything look real hot, you know, balances it. But I don't like working on this section. <laughs> but all together, it enhances the aspect that you want. Oh, you, I mean, if it was just all intensity, you wouldn't be able to see the intensity, you know? You would need sunglasses. Exactly. How's your, how's your piece going? I have made a tiny quilt that is long, tall, and skinny. Oh and I think God. it's a little ladder. I think we've been talking so much about, like, how to lift the conversation, how to lift people and connect people. I think my subconscious just sewed a little ladder. How much of that did you do just sitting here? The whole thing. The whole thing? Well, the whole the whole patchwork. Now I still got to put the batting and the backing on it. Oh I did the whole God. patchwork. Yeah. That's so lovely, Zach. Thanks. Yeah, I'll put a picture of it in the in the episode post website, whatever we call those things. I'll send you a picture of this rug. Please do. Yeah. Catherine, this has been such a treat chatting with you. Thank you so much. Listen, I love everything that you're doing, bringing people together. And I just think it's such a service. And you are this absolute just like beacon that people are drawn to. And thanks for what you're doing. And there you have it. Thank you for listening. I hope you got something out of that conversation. And I would say make sure you're subscribed so you get all these episodes as soon as they drop. And think about leaving me that review, huh? Take care, and y'all go sew something good. Mm-hmm.